Second Chronicles 12, verses 5 through 8. Then the prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam and to the leaders of Judah who had assembled in Jerusalem for fear of Shishak. It's a fascinating story, by the way. Not going to do the back story. And he said to them, this is what the Lord says. You have abandoned me, therefore I now abandon you to Shishak. The leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, the Lord is just. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, this word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. Since they've humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but will soon give them deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. They will, however, become subject to him so that they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of other lands. What lessons can we take away from this? And one of the obvious is God can make a pronouncement and our response can change the pronouncement where God says, this is my decision, then he sees how we respond, and he goes, I'm going to change my decision. Now, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? There's something else you could take away, and that is prayer and repentance is not a magic escape chute. Because even if God changes his mind, it doesn't mean that you're going to get away from all the consequences of sin. The consequences can still remain. God is willing to try different things. Well, try this, see if this works. Now, that doesn't fit with the classical view of God that, uh, that knows everything you're ever going to do and has already decided it beforehand. Remember, we've talked quite a length about that. Take a look at these passages in Exodus, chapter 3. We're going to start in chapter 3. Exodus is easy to find. Exodus 3. He says it's easy to find, but there we go. Look at verse 18. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Now, hang on, verse 1 of chapter 4. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Look down, verse 5. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. You remember the staff turning into a snake. If you're wondering where we're going, just hang in there. Verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. Does that sound to you like the future is settled? It, it doesn't. God doesn't speak as if it is. If they do not believe you, they may believe the second. Look at verse 9. But if they, if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, he gives them a third sign then. Look at the may and the if words. Now, you notice I didn't tell the story, and, and you probably thought, well, he's skipping over the story because you know the story. You're church people. Only church people hang about for connection groups. You know the story. 
So what I want you to do is go back in and see what you've missed. The if and the may words. God is saying, let's try this. And if that doesn't work, we'll try this. And if that doesn't work, we'll try this. In the space of just a, a, a one opening of your Bible. The Egyptians were free moral agents, which means they were free to reject the signs and the miracles. Do you remember I talked about last week, you could save your children from sinning if you just locked them in the basement. The problem is, that's not love. Love is risky. And God has let us loose and handed us the car keys to our own future. He's, he's also decided which bus we could get on. You know, rather, he's, let me back up. He is letting us decide which bus we want to get on. But he warns us there are consequences. A little known section, in fact, I never heard this talked about from the pulpit. A little section of the story of Exodus. It never made it to VBS. Take a look at Exodus 13. Did you know that when God led the people of Israel out into the desert, he changes his mind and then leads them another direction? In Exodus 13, verse 7, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Well, Hang on with that. Back up just a little bit to chapter 12, verse 3. I'm actually hearing Bible pages turn. Cool. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, uh, let's see, is that where I want to go? That's not working. Hang on. 12, 3, 12, 3. He knows how unreliable we are. I'm just... Uh. I have missed where I wanted to go. I will find where I wanted to go. Basically, what he says is, I, I'm not really sure they're in the right place. And chapter 14, he starts in one direction. They go a day's journey, and he turns them around. And he goes, no, we're going to go this direction. And he says, I know how unreliable they are. Unreliable. He doesn't say, I know exactly what they're going to do. I know how unreliable they are. Now, is there a balance between, and again, don't be digital, God knows everything or God knows nothing. Don't do that with our own children. I cannot wait to meet my new grandson when he is born. We're on baby watch for the next week or so. Um, first grandson, and I don't, I'm not going to go into grandson stories. First grandson, age six, amazing athlete, wakes up, at 11, not 11 o'clock, but 11 on a dial of 10. She comes out of bed like toast, just going, and goes all day long. Second grandson, three. First grandson's a beanpole. Second grandson is a planet. Big, muscles, weighs within a pound of his older brother, who is six and he's three. He is a comedian. Constant. I gets it from Cammy. <laughs> that woman's genes have ruined everything. Um, 
always joking, playing games, and you can watch him thinking about how to get ahead of you. And I'm wondering, what's the third one going to be like? Now, when I take Lucas and Fenn into a movie or into a mall or into a park, I can pretty much figure out what they're going to do and like. But I don't know everything, and I can still be surprised. Do you understand? God knows a lot more about us than I know about my grandsons. But I'm trying to get the story here. It's not an all-or-nothing world. We live in that analog world. There's actually a scientific term for that called fuzzy logic. And most people think fuzzy logic means it's not really logical. No, fuzzy logic is extremely logical. But it means, for example, some of you were fanning yourself during worship. And so I asked a couple, are you hot in here? And one said warmish, another said yes. Ask a couple more, and they said, no, it feels great. What is warm? There's, that's a fuzzy logic. But we all know when we are warm, when we've arrived. We all know when we're not. But it's a, it's, it's, there's, the gradations are constant. God has to deal with individuals. I think uh, I've already explained this once, months, months ago, maybe a year ago, just real quick. Scientists believe that there are 10 to the 62nd power of atoms in the universe. That's a one with 62 zeros after it. Spend a day and a half drawing that out and put the, column, the commas in correctly. That's a guess of how many atoms in the universe. But we can take the genetic material from one man and one woman in here and make 10 to the 128th power Different individuals, no twins, no copies. Now, that's a one with 128 zeros. And if you're thinking, wow, 10 to the 62nd, 10 to the 128th, that's like more than twice. You didn't pay attention when you studied exponents. It is quadrillions of times more. What that means is every person born is more unique than the universe in which they live. God's never done you before. He's never going to do you again. As my dad said, he learned his lesson. <laughs> I was also the last kid. I put it all together. Um, think of, and so he looks at us and he goes, I know you, and I know where you're headed, but you still surprised me. Remember that last week in Jeremiah? He said, that never entered my mind, what you did. Take a look at um, Jesus in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 in verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, look at this line coming out of Jesus' mouth. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Had you ever noticed the phrase, if it is possible? Have you ever caught yourself saying to God, if you could, and then panic? As if, oh, I don't mean to indicate that you couldn't. Jesus said, if it's possible. If you can come up with an alternative plan here, I would appreciate it. 
there's nothing wrong with going to God and saying, I see where we're going here. I think I know where you're headed. I'd like to actually get some input and say, could we direct it over here if that's possible? And God doesn't get angry. He says, come, let us reason together. He want, like I said, when you're wrestling God, at least you're in contact. Do you remember, well, Mark chapter 13. Let's just do it this way. Mark 13. For those of you watching the British Open, 13. I've had a lot of you say, have you been watching the Open? Well, it's been delayed a lot because of temperatures in the 40s and 50s and howling wind about 40 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, well, that's just a lovely Scottish day. What's the problem? <laughs> we have wind like that. Well, if, if ever you get to go to Scotland, you're blessed to walk in the, in the Holy Land. Um, and you ask what the weather's going to be, and they'll talk to you about the weather, because they always do. That's, that's the conversation. Uh, and it's always, oh, it's horrible weather. You know, it's dreek. Dreek means a flood. Uh, rain is going to hit you. And if they say, it's a wee bit fresh, you're going to be blown away to Ireland. <laughs> so my wife would say, they told, uh, we were walking down the street once, and she goes, the skin is coming off my face. Didn't they just said it was a bit fresh? And I said, no, a wee bit fresh to a Scotsman means hang on to your kilt. Um, but yes, I've been, I've been watching 13, 32, uh, Mark 13, 32. But about that day, the heaven and earth passing away, or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Did you notice that Jesus said he didn't know? But hang on. Go to 2 Peter. It's amazing what you find out when you really read the Bible. And don't just read it for the points you're trying to prove. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. The Lord is not slow in concerning his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now think about that. He wants everybody to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Watch this. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Has God chosen a date for the end of the world? If you ask most Christians, they will say, yes. You show them the passage of Jesus, and they'll say, well, that, he didn't know it when he was on earth, but now he's gone to heaven, he knows. We can change it. We can change the day of the Lord. We can speed its coming by doing the job. Remember he told us, go into all the world, tell everybody about Jesus, and love your neighbors yourself. How have we done in 2,000 years? Not so good. We haven't done the job. Alexander Campbell, one of the, the guys whose, whose works began this particular religious tribe, and whose name's on the historical marker outside, um, called his first paper, Millennial Harbinger. 
he thought that if we get this church right, finally, all the people will unite about the same principles and Jesus can come back. He wanted to speed the day of the Lord. I would submit that he did a great job, but he left it unfinished as all of us do. Every time I'm kind to somebody, I'm speeding the day of the Lord. Get it out there. Get it done. Yes? I know. Some translations say eagerly await. I just don't think that's a fair translation. Now, I'm not a Greek expert, but I'm not, I just don't see that. Now, I'll explain why. Let's just assume this is Diet Coke. There's a rule in Churches of Christ, no sniff in the minister's drink. I don't know if you've heard that one. Um, <clears throat> if my daughter were younger and she were to say to me, when can I date? And I say, I'll tell you when. Do I have a date in mind? A calend uh, calendrical date? No. She can speed the day by behaving in a certain way. When can I get my driver's license? I'll let you know. Well, the law says I can, uh, I'll let you know. But you could speed the day by responsible behavior. I believe that our faithfulness, our prayer, our evangelism hastens the coming of the Lord. And we're part of that process. And so I get up every morning, I've got something to do. If I grieve as I do, I mean, we're a Marine family. For the loss of four Marines in Chattanooga, breaks my heart. I want that to end. How do you end it? You probably don't end it with Hercules gunships. Because you're, this is one person. Uh, you end it by ending the world. How do you end the world? Not with a button on nuclear, but by hastening the day of the Lord by going to people and bringing them to Jesus. Connecting with Jesus. And by the way, I put it up on Facebook as well. Finally, within hours of this happening, the Islamic community of Chattanooga got together, lined the streets with big posters praying for the victims and saying this is not we do not approve and they issued a, a, an official statement uh, their mullahs did against this and I, I'm going finally this is what we need we need all religious people to stand up every single time and say no no this is not us we don't accept it so maybe the day of the Lord's getting a bit closer sure hope so does that, does that help to understand that it's not particularly a date, but it's movable? Let's review this uh, first slide on uh, week six notes. There's a huge cosmic war going on. There are demons and angels. It's been going on since we were created. It affects us every single day, either directly or peripherally. I mean, think about, when I say peripherally, even if the devil is not going after you today, we lock our doors. We buy insurance. 
We, what, what, we, we pay for a military and a, and a police force. Why? Because evil is loose. We take precautions, right? Every day. God's involved in the war with us. And while the end of the war is certain, and I believe that, I'm no dualist. I don't believe the devil is equal to God in any way, shape, or form. The end of the war is certain. The progress of the war is determined by the things we cannot see and by our reaction to God, the way we respond to our Father. And I believe the future can be determined by God. I think he's proven that. When he says, I'm going to do such and such, and he does it. Even years ahead in Isaiah, he talks about Jesus. When Jesus comes 490 years later, guess what? It's more than that. It's about 600 years. When Jesus comes, nails it. So God can determine what he's going to do. And he can determine the future. But God does not have every detail of the future planned. A good deal of what happens in the future depends upon us. And he's willing to work with us. He's even willing to change direction. And he does it repeatedly in Scripture. And that's what amazes me is how we, we miss it. We don't even see it. How many times he says, may, if, if you want to do this, we'll go this direction. And we don't even see it. But we've already seen in this class numerous examples from Hezekiah, Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We saw just a few minutes ago God talking to Moses saying, this might work, but then we'll try this. And if that doesn't work, then we'll try this. And that might work. So, We've already read 2 Peter 3, verses 9 through 12. So again, God is not willing that any should perish. Pop quiz, will some perish? But that's not God's plan. Is God's will always done? Why should we even say, your will be done, unless it's possible that it isn't going to be done? Have you ever thought about that? May the will of the Lord be done in this means that we know it's possible to go off the rails. Some believe this day of the Lord is judgment on Israel. Most believe it means the end of the world. Either way, the way we live can make a big impact. Um, I'm going to skip forward here a wee bit because we, we've been getting late starts. Again, that minister in his mouth. Man has no break or watch. I thought about watches this week. Isn't it interesting? We started with pocket watches, and then we changed them to wrist watches, and then we made it more convenient with digital watches, and then we upgraded to iPhones, which we keep in our pockets. <laughs> when you only work one day a week, you've got a lot of time to think about these things. Uh, Peter also says that God is not willing that any should perish. And here's a question that's often asked. It's slide four for the notes. If God knows everything, how could a loving God create people he knows beforehand are doomed to an eternity in hell? Heard that question? It's used against faith. It's used against God every single day. I hang around atheists. I know this. So how do you respond to it if you hold to the classical view of God's knowledge of the future? 
All you got to do is, well, God in his mercy. Explain that, be in mercy. By the way, if you didn't know this, the large, there were several streams that came together to make our religious tribe, the Churches of Christ, the Restoration Movement, Stone Campbell Movement, whatever you want to call it. The largest group did not come through Campbell. It came from Barton W. Stone. And Barton W. Stone left the Presbyterian Church over Calvinism because they taught that if you're going to be saved, God chooses who's going to be saved and who's not. And that if he wants you to be saved, there's nothing you can do about it. He's just going to come upon you and save you. And if he doesn't want you to be saved, he won't. By the way, that kills evangelism. Because what's the point? It also kills the desire to seek out God. The most Presbyterian country on the planet is Scotland. And about 6% of the people go to any church of any kind. You ask them, they'll say, if, if they even believe in a God anymore, they'll say, well, what's the point? If I'm going, I'm going. If I'm not, I'm not. And Stone, this, he wrestled with this so much that he wouldn't take the oath of ordination the way he was supposed to, saying, I believe the Westminster Confession of Faith. He said, I believe the Westminster Confession of Faith insofar as it agrees with Scripture. And they actually had a big emergency meeting and decided, all right, we'll still let him preach. But the biggest group of us came from out of Calvinism saying, wait a minute. That does, that's not, he said, how do you call this the mercy of God? He gives us all a chance. Now, we're not talking here about the nature of hell or how long it lasts or does ever, anybody get a second chance. That's not our subject. It's more sensible to think that God creates us as free creatures with some limits. There are some limits. We're limited by what God's willing to do, but you're also limited by your genetics, right? I, I, it, it tickles me. America's a great place. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. No. I could never play for the NBA. Really? I had one lady come up to me. No, Patrick, if you'd started early and practiced, and I just stopped her and went. <laughs> no. Genetics. You are limited some by genetics. You're also limited by the family you're born into. Right? If they abused you or didn't encourage you or if they pushed you forward or whatever, that has huge effects. You're also limited by the place you were born Think of the medical care we get. And yes, I wrestle with insurance companies too. But still, what a blessing to live here. Um, those of you that have lived elsewhere know, in, in stark terms, what it's like over there. We, we are shaped by our environment. We're shaped by her hereditary, but we also still have free choice. That's why I always say having a lousy childhood is no excuse for being a lousy adult. We still get to make decisions. Now, we will make them as broken people, but we still get to make them. You know, I'm, I'm a broken person because most of my wounds are self-inflicted, but I, I, I took a few from the family as well and from stuff like you did. 
So sometimes when I make my decisions, I remind myself a broken person is making this decision. Still, I get to make decisions. Think of Matthew, let's put this slide up, slide five, Matthew 26, 24. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him. In other words, I got my life mapped out. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he'd not been born. Wait a minute. I've had that thrown at me by atheists. God made him do it. No. He knew Jesus would be betrayed because that's just the way humans are. And when Jesus picked Judas, did he pick him evil? Uh, according to Scripture, Judas made himself evil. In fact, when he died, instead of saying buried, it said he went to his own place. He chose that. That's where he, that's where he, that's the bus he got on. Has God determined before you were born who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell? Then why does he try to work with us to get us to believe if it's been decided? And the Bible makes no sense if you go that direction. Isaiah, let's do slide six. Isaiah 63. In her distress, he too, God, was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted it up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. Do you see the interaction between us and them? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God wants to carry us. Have you ever tried to carry a kid that didn't want to be carried? They arch their back and they kick and... And you're going, I'm just trying to take you to a nice place. I'm just trying to do good stuff. You even buy them the meal of great joy at McDonald's. The happy meal. And, and here's the toy. And they're not, what's wrong? Well, McDonald's also has a playground. <sighs> so we got to go to the, the land of viruses. And let them play there. And discontent, our discontent can make us like those kids. And just like those kids, we demand somebody buy us happiness. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, although it's not your fault because God determined ahead of time that you were. No, hang on. doesn't say that. It says Behave. You're saved people. Behave. God wants to redeem you. Look at the next one. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people. Well, the, God loses it sometimes, doesn't he? He doesn't really lose it, lose it, or we'd be less than toast. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. Any, any women in here ever said that to your kids? Not the uncircumcised bed. They, they are this. The, you're just like your father. My mother said that to me all the time. And I knew it wasn't meant as a compliment. Fact is, I'm a lot more like her. You're, you always resist the Holy Spirit. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verses 8 and 15, and then chapter 4, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. Take a look. Uh, do we have the other one up? Possible? We don't? Okay. When I say we, that means me. I didn't do it. Hebrews 4, verse 7. Scripture says, God set, again, set a certain day, calling it today. This he did a long time later. He spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Isn't it interesting that writers throughout Scripture remind us it's an if. If. A lot of this has to do with us. But what about this one? Um, Exodus chapter 32. Let's go there. I don't think I have a slide for that. Exodus 32. And verse 33. Yes. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now, by the way, very, very similar, Revelation 3, verse 5. Names are written in the book of life. But here he says, I can blot them out. Does that sound like it was already determined who's going to be in the book? No, because you can get your name in there, but you can also get it out. Sorry? Yes, Revelation 3, 5. Didn't know what the hand signals were. After 10 years in Detroit, I'm always alert for a gang sign. Um, first time, I didn't understand what they were doing, and I stole second, but I, I eventually learned. If God foreknew from all eternity that some names would be blotted out, why did he write them in the book in the first place? Why would he give him a share in the holy city and then take it away? Revelation 22, 19. God truly plans to save everybody. I don't think it's hyperbole. It's an excellent question because I think we need to look for hyperbole in Scripture, and we don't. Hyperbole is overstating. You know, I told you a thousand times. That's hyperbole. Uh, synecdoche is to use a part for the whole or whole for the part rather like three days three nights in the tomb he wasn't in there 72 hours but we we do that there there's understatement there's uh, well when a woman says I'll be down in a minute <laughs> right we understand how that works I know that I know it's sexist I'm old I actually said stewardess a while ago. Give me a break. Um, remember Matthew 23 and verse 37, Jesus saying, I would have taken you under my wings if you'd just come. He wants to save everybody. You see, now that, by the way, that's the opposite, and I gotta stop here. That's the opposite view of God than the one I got from sermons when I was a kid. The one I got was basically, he's looking for a chance to not save you. Seeing if you measure up. Our God is trying everything he can to save you. 
looking for every opportunity to save you. Yay, God. So all you have to do is kind of go along with him. And he will, he'll take you. In fact, he even said, nobody will snatch you out of my hand. I got you. Got to stop. Don't want to stop. Got to stop. To be honest and be fair with you. Plus, a couple of our young ones want to be baptized, and they wanted to be baptized this morning. So we're not going to delay that. But we're going to let you guys go, because they didn't want a big crowd. But, Amen. <laughs> Uh, but we will, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get a crowd anyway, somehow. We'll make a crowd of heaven, and heaven will rejoice. Thank you. I know this is tough stuff, but we've got a few more weeks to go. Can you hang in there? All right. To me, this is liberating. I hope it's not terrifying to any of you. I know it terrifies some because they really thought God's got it all sorted. Um, I like the fact that he's willing to play. Let's go. Let's work on this together. And so um, hang in there. We will, we will survive this journey. And even if I'm wrong, pff, what are the odds of that? Even if I'm wrong, I am saved and so are you. Amen? Amen. Because it's not about us getting it right. It's about getting him right. We follow the right, we get on the right bus. Cheery bye. Ta-ta.